I invite you to open up your Bibles or turn on your devices and find Galatians chapter 2. And as we get started this morning, I want to ask you, does it bother you when things are crooked? Most of you know we've moved to a different house recently, and we're finally to the hanging things on the wall stage. And sometimes trying to get things straight and level and not crooked makes me crazy. I can get a little obsessed about it. If that wasn't bad enough, have you seen these pictures that people post on the internet? Some of these pictures? They put them on there just to make people like me crazy. Those are kind of humorous. But what we're talking about today isn't funny. We're talking about a crooked gospel today. Not that the true gospel of the Lord Jesus is crooked, but the ways in which we distort and add to that gospel leave us with one that is crooked. We've been in Galatians for a few weeks now. Paul is writing to the churches that he planted there that unfortunately have compromised the gospel. They've, they've added things and distorted things, and what's left is, well, it's, it's crooked. They've added back the law of Moses. They've come to believe that they need that in addition to what Christ has done for them. They need to adhere to the law of Moses. And Paul has found out about this, and he's ticked, and he's writing describing to these Christians here what all that he has done in defense of the gospel. We saw last week where Paul was describing a road trip that he made to Jerusalem. He had to have a little powwow with the other apostles about the content of the gospel. And so he went and he presented them with the gospel, the gospel that he's been preaching for more than 10 years, this law-free gospel. And he presents it to him and he says, all right, what you got to say about it? Here it is. Here's what I've been preaching. What will you add to this? See, Paul didn't shrink back from a confrontation in Jerusalem, and we're going to see today in these next four verses, he doesn't shrink back from a confrontation in Antioch. So I'd like to ask you to stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word. These four verses, Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. The very words of God. But when Cephas, and all that is is the Aramaic version of of Peter, used interchangeably, and when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? May God add his blessing 
to the hearing, to the teaching, to the preaching of his inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word. Let's pray together. Lord, it's an uncomfortable passage you've given us here. And maybe we're supposed to be uncomfortable. Maybe you want to make us uncomfortable in the places in which our lives don't line up with your law-free gospel of grace. So make us each as uncomfortable as we need to be until you conform us to this gospel of your beloved Son. Help us in that process. Change us in that process. And most of all, exalt the Lord Jesus in that process. We pray in his name and for his sake. Amen. Please be seated. Now, I want to give you a little backstory here. I want to give you some context that I think will help. Because I don't want to assume that just because you're here today means that you're a Christian uh, or you might be a Christian who just hasn't yet had the opportunity to spend that much time in the Bible and in church. So I don't want to assume any of these details. So here's the backstory: Before Jesus came, God's people, the, the Jews, abided by some pretty specific rules and regulations, right? We're probably all familiar with the Ten Commandments. But there was more than just the Ten Commandments. There were lots of rules and lots of regulations that God had given to his people. Some very specific stuff about, gosh, what you can eat and what you can't eat. A lot of real specific ritual and and ceremony that you needed to participate in. And there was this real clear instruction that you had to separate yourself. You had to steer clear of all those who weren't abiding by all these many, many rules and regulations. See, if you keep the rules, you're clean. And if you don't keep the rules, you are unclean. Now, all these things were given to God's people to try to help them realize that in order to enjoy God's presence... God who is the ultimate clean one, the pure one, the holy one. If you're going to enjoy his presence, you got to be cleansed. And so ultimately, all these regulations were pointing out how desperately we need a Savior. How badly we need someone to help us be clean. And so when Jesus does come and he does make us clean... Right? That's, that's what Jesus does. It makes all these other rules and regulations and rituals and ceremonies, it makes those things obsolete. They're redundant now. If you want even a little bit more backstory, I think I've remember to list this in the worship folder, or maybe I didn't. Mark chapter 7 is where you can go for a little more of the backstory on that. A little bit of how Jesus was explaining cleanliness, real cleanliness, and where it comes from and where it no longer comes from, where it never really came from in the first place. 
All right, so that, that's part of the, the backstory. The ceremonial law no longer necessary. Now, not the Ten Commandments, right? Don't hear what I'm not saying. Ten Commandments still apply. That's still God's wise and, and good plan for us. It reflects His character and will benefit greatly. Life will just work better when we live according to His law. So it's not the Ten Commandments we're talking about. It's the ceremonial aspect of things. Now, here's the other half of the backstory. Peter, who's mentioned in our passage today, he was a good Jew who became a disciple of the Lord Jesus. And he was still closely adhering to all these ceremonial laws. And staying away from those who didn't. And so God gives him a vision. Acts 10, if you want to look it up later. God gives him a vision. There's this big sheet coming down out of heaven, and it's filled with food. It's filled with all the foods that the Jews weren't supposed to eat. And so God says to Peter, take your pick eat. And Peter says, no way. And God says, yes way. In fact, God says, don't you dare call unclean what I've made clean. And this happens not once, but three times to help Peter get the point. And so this becomes for Peter a light bulb moment. Where he sees, finally, all right, I no longer have to live according to the ceremonial law, and I don't have to steer clear of the other folks who aren't living according to that law, namely the Gentiles, the non-Jews, who are placing their faith in Christ now by the droves. You know, it is... It's very interesting to me that it says in this passage, this story takes place in Antioch. You see that in verse 11. If you're here this morning and you do happen to know the Bible fairly well, you know Antioch is noteworthy because it's the first place where people were called Christians, right? Until this week, I just filed that away as a little bit of trivia in my head, and, and I had missed because I was a little obtuse at times, I missed the significance of that. This was the first place they were called Christians. This is the first place anybody was called Christians. They were called something new because they were new. They needed a new label because you, you couldn't refer to God's people as Jews anymore. That didn't cut it. it that became obsolete. And because so many coming into the church now, they weren't Jews. So we need a new label. And so they were called Christians. This happened in Antioch. They were first called Christians in Antioch, but it's not all smooth sailing in Antioch. In fact, there's a pretty big division and a really big confrontation that happens. Last week, we were talking about gospel addition, and that gospel addition, adding to the gospel, is really 
division. And the church in Antioch, well, it's divided. Unfortunately, it's divided by those who are still insisting upon keeping those ceremonial laws and rules and regulations. And so the gospel is getting crooked in Antioch. And it's got all kinds of bad effects, which is what always happens when we distort and add to the gospel. I started out with a list of like nine ill effects and decided y'all might be overwhelmed by that. So I took my list and I shucked it down into three rough categories, three areas where we see ill effect from a crooked gospel. So we've got crooked leaders that result from a crooked gospel, crooked children, and crooked siblings. And we'll start, of course, with the crooked leaders. No, I'm not talking about politicians because that's where our minds first head when you hear crooked leaders. No, this is worse than that. Boy, this is awkward. This is Peter we're talking about and Paul. Did you not cringe when I read those verses? It's just so awkward even. I loved uh, Dr. Riken's commentary that I used in some of my studies. I loved how he worded this. It was an awkward moment, to say the least. It's always embarrassing when a fight breaks out at church, but this one was a real doozy. For one thing, it took place during a church potluck where everyone was supposed to be having a good time. For another thing, the combatants were the pillars of the church. It was Peter against Paul. Two apostles in a face-to-face, knock-down, drag-out showdown. The battle was completely unexpected. The two men had been friends ever since they got acquainted in Jerusalem. The last time they were together, Peter had given Paul the right hand of fellowship. But this time, Paul was opposing Peter right to his face. Y'all, it makes us uncomfortable. It has made some commentators so uncomfortable, in fact, that they want to say, well, obviously, this must be a different Peter that is mentioned here. This, this can't be the Apostle Peter. no. It's him, and it's really Paul. Apostles, brothers in Christ, pillars of the church. Well, Paul, we have seen, will defend the gospel at all costs. He went to Jerusalem. He refused to budge an inch. And Peter there was in agreement with him. But now we're at Antioch, and Paul finds Peter not budging an inch, but a mile. And so he confronts him, we see there in verse 11. He opposes him. This is a strong word. There's an air of hostility about it. This is strong resistance. And it's public strong resistance. This isn't just Paul pulling Peter aside and saying, hey, bro, you you messed up on this one. No, it's in front of everybody. That, that's the awkwardness. It's in front of everybody. It's a public rebuke. Because it's a public offense. And it's got public effects. See, what Peter has done as a leader has led others astray. We see verse 13. See, people have seen what Peter has done, and because he's a leader, they've followed. They've gone astray with him. 
Y'all, even Barnabas. Even Barnabas. This is, this is shocking. Last week, Barnabas was on the road trip with Paul to Jerusalem where this very topic was the issue. And he stood with Paul in Jerusalem only to falter in Antioch. Before we start shaking our heads or wagging our fingers, this needs to be a warning to us of how easy it is to get crooked, of how easy it is to compromise, to distort, to add. If Peter can do it, if Barnabas can do it, I'm pretty sure you and I can do it too. Crooked gospel can result in crooked leaders. It can also result in crooked children. Now, I'm thinking specifically here in terms of children of God, as in when we place our faith in Jesus, God adopts us as his children. That's what he's done for Peter. But as we see in this passage, Peter's not living in light of his having been adopted as a child of God. And we see this in several ways. If you're taking notes with that worship folder, let me get you to add three little subpoints underneath crooked children. Right? These are the ways in which we see Peter not living like an adopted child of God. Number one is through his hypocrisy. Number two is through his fear. And thirdly, through his, his crooked living. Let's look at his hypocrisy first. So hypocrisy is saying one thing and doing another. In in Peter's case here, it's believing one thing and probably saying, probably telling other people what you believe, but doing another. All right, so Peter had that vision. He realizes now that it is okay to not live according to the ceremonial law. You no longer have to do that. And it is now okay to fellowship with others who also are not living according to that ceremonial law. And so he starts living in light of those beliefs. He's not keeping the ceremonial law and he's eating with those who also don't keep it. And so eating here, we need to see it's literal, right? This is literal uh, pulling up a chair at a table and sharing a meal with somebody, but it's also sort of this umbrella term for acceptance too, right? If, if you eat with someone, they're okay, right? You're, you're cool with them. Now, nothing we read here leads us to believe that Peter stopped believing all those things to be true. But one day, all of a sudden, out of the blue, he stopped living according to those beliefs. See, God, as Peter's father, had brought Peter, his child, to a place of belief. A place of belief that what I've done for you in Christ, well, I've done that for others too. And what I've done for you is enough. What I've done for them is enough. And it's independent of what you do. It's all about what Christ has done for you. 
And because of what I've done as your father through Christ, you have my approval as a child. Because of what Christ has done. But something in this moment has led Peter to abandon the Father's approval and to seek approval elsewhere. And he has to be a hypocrite to get it. So Peter's not living like a child. He's living like a crooked child because of his hypocrisy, but also his fear. If we're God's children, if he's our daddy, and he tells us that we have his approval, then we have nothing to fear, and I mean nothing ever to fear as his children. But Peter, we see in verse 12, Peter, who had been eating with the Gentiles... He gets scared. He starts to fear. He is afraid of another group of people, an influential group of people, of people who claimed, whether they did or not, to represent an influential person. And Peter was filled with fear. Fear of what this group of important influential people might think. Filled with fear of what they might say. Filled with fear of what they might do. He became afraid and in his fear became ashamed of the gospel. His father had given him this great vision that he now casts aside. Because for him in that moment he's a crooked child And the fear of man now holds greater sway in his heart than the fear of his father. And that makes him a crooked kid, a crooked child. So we see hypocrisy, we see fear, and now there's crooked living that results from that. Verse 14, Paul says that their behavior, these Jewish Christians led by Peter, their behavior is not in step with the truth of the gospel, the ESV has it. And that's okay. That's a good translation. This in step is the verb for walking. It's just got a prefix in front of it. Prefix ortho, which we still use today. We've adopted into the English language. Think about going to the orthodontist. You go there because you got crooked teeth And you want them to be straight. So literally, Peter was not straight walking. He was not ortho walking with the truth of the gospel. His hypocrisy, his fearful conduct, it was out of line. It was not straight with the gospel His living, his walking, was saying to others, Jesus isn't enough. You got to do more. 
but the truth of the gospel. See, he wasn't straight walking with the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is Jesus has done enough. Jesus has done it all. What Jesus did was sufficient. It was everything we need for salvation. There's nothing left for us to add. The perfect life that he lived, the sacrificial death he died in our place, taking the punishment for our sins, it was enough. And any child of the Father ought to know that. But this child, Peter, he let his relationship with his father get all crooked when he started adding to the gospel. So his vertical relationship, his relationship with his father, it's all crooked. He's living hypocritically. He's living fearfully, not in line with the gospel. So the vertical relationship is all messed up. And we see point number three on our outline, the horizontal relationship gets out of whack too. Ends up being a crooked sibling, a crooked brother to the Christians around him. Both relationships get out of whack when we let the gospel get crooked. And that's a shame because the gospel has power to address them both. The gospel has power to restore us vertically with our Father and restore us horizontally with our brothers and sisters. But adding to the gospel and ending up with a crooked gospel, as we talked about last week, it divides the church. We'll look at this one in three parts as well. We've got crooked siblings. We've got crooked brother-sister relationships in Christ. Three things here. I want to look first at what maybe Peter thought he was doing. We're going to give him some benefit of the doubt. We're going to look at maybe perhaps what he thought he was doing. But then we're going to look at what he was actually doing. And then we're going to get real uncomfortable we're going to talk about what we're doing okay so let's give Peter some benefit of the doubt I'm pretty sure that he didn't wake up one morning and say you know what I think I'll distort the gospel and divide the church today no I bet it was something like this he's sitting there in the fellowship hall at his table with the Gentiles around him. Maybe they're even eating barbecue. I don't know. But he sees the circumcision party come in. Those that would say, oh, Jesus is fine. We got no problem with Jesus. Just don't stop there. Don't stop short. Make sure you go all the way. You need to be circumcised, which when it's talking about circumcision, we need to understand that even circumcision is an umbrella term for meaning for all the ceremonial law. That's just the biggie that they keep mentioning. If you want to fully be a Christian, the circumcision party would say, you got to go all the way. you got to be all in. So Peter sees him coming and he says, oh boy, this is going to be awkward. They're not going to like this. I just want to try to avoid a scene. I just want everybody to be comfortable and happy. Don't rock the boat. 
I'm just going to quietly grab my plate and I'm going to slide over here. I know those guys don't understand this. They didn't get the vision from God like I did. So really, I'm just being polite. I'm just being sensitive to their feelings. Because I don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. That may have been what Peter was thinking. And really, is which table you sit at in the fellowship hall really that big of a deal? Paul sure thought so. Paul saw it as nothing less than a full-on assault of the free grace of the law-free gospel of Jesus. Because here's what Peter was actually doing. Regardless of what he may have thought he was doing, we don't know. But here's what he was actually doing. He was siding with folks. He was appeasing folks who said, what Jesus did is insufficient. You've got to add to what he did. And y'all, that's a denial of the gospel. And it doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even make sense. You know what? Even Moses knew That circumcision didn't accomplish anything. Even Moses knew that physical circumcision was only pointing to something in the future. Deuteronomy 30 verse 6. Yes, I put it up there. Even Moses knew. He was telling them, it's your hearts that need fixing. That's the issue. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does when He brings us to the place that we can believe the gospel. He's giving us the real circumcision that that was always pointing to. He's removing our heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh. And because the Holy Spirit now does that, it's an end to any significance that physical circumcision ever had. And you can no longer, no one can any longer claim an advantage of having physical circumcision. But Peter here is denying the gospel, inciting with folks who still say there is an advantage to to circumcision. And in doing so, Peter is forcing it on others. Did you see that as part of Paul's charge in verse 14? He says, Peter, you're forcing Gentiles to live like Jews. Which is ridiculous because you are a Jew and you haven't been living like a Jew and you're forcing them to live like Jews. And so I had to think about this this week. How is he forcing them all he did was switch tables how is switching tables forcing them to become jewish well see we got to understand this conflict we got to understand the nature of the first century church and the big question that faced the early church that started out 100% jewish Right? It's Jews who, who have first placed their faith in Christ. 
And then the Gentiles start pouring in scads, thousands at a, at a day are being added to their number. And so the, the first century church is faced with this question. Do these Gentile Christians have full status in the church? Or are they really just junior Christians until they take up the law of Moses, the ceremonial requirements of the law? Are they fully Christian or are they JV Christians? And so think about those dear Gentile brothers and sisters in Christ. Think about what Peter is saying to them when he switches tables. You're unclean. You're not worthy. You don't really belong here. Not fully. Not like we do. See, Peter was forcing Jewishness. He was forcing cultural preferences on them if they ever wanted to be fully accepted. If they ever wanted to have a sense of belonging, it had to be on my terms. It had to be according to my preferences. Oh boy. And what about us? What are we doing? How might we be adding to the gospel? How might we be making it crooked? Have we become crooked children with our Father? Has our relationship with Him gotten crooked? Has our relationship with other brothers and sisters in Christ gotten crooked? It's important for us to consider this, and, and we're not going to accomplish that this morning. But we've got to give this some thought, and we've got to think because this is not the first century church that we're in. This is the 21st century church. And so, of course, our issue today is not circumcision. It's not whether we're keeping kosher or not. But what is our, what is our issue? What are the ways in which we might be getting crooked with the gospel? And we've got to dig a little deeper and we've got to give it some thought. But even circumcision, that was the, the presenting issue in the first century. And that wasn't really the issue. That was circumcision for them. It, it was like a blend of racism and nationalism. Kind of woven together. Which in the end is just legalism, right? Anything like that is legalism. Anything that we're looking to other than Christ for our acceptance and our significance. And that can be a hundred different things. And so let me, let me end this morning. 
want to ask you a question. I'm actually going to ask it two different ways to try to help it click. And then I'm going to throw out a few examples just to make you upset with me. And then we'll be done. Here's the first way I'm going to ask this question. What makes you want to switch tables in the fellowship hall? And here's the other way I'm going to ask that question. What personal preference do you have that you want to force others to line up with before you'll have fellowship with them as a brother or sister in Christ? Is it worship style? Is it organ versus guitar? Is it whether you wear blue jeans or a coat and tie to worship? Is it skin color? And we got to ask that question. In a city and county that we live in, that is a whole lot darker than all of us in this room this morning? It's a question we got to ask. Is it political affiliation? That might make you want to switch tables. Is it, now I'm going to really get in trouble, is it kneeling for the national anthem? Or is it sympathizing with those who do? Does that make you want to get up and move to another table? It, it, it doesn't matter what, what the preference is that you have. The thing we've got to realize is that none of these things is the gospel. And we should not, we cannot allow these things to divide us. We can't place requirements on other folks that God does not place on them. If we let these types of things divide us, then we don't yet understand the unity that the gospel really creates between brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray. Oh God, I pray that you'd help us to honestly do some soul searching and some considering about what makes us want to switch tables in the fellowship hall. And admittedly, that's not even a great question because there's a whole lot of sameness right here in our midst. It's the folks that aren't here folks that aren't here and should be here that might make us want to switch tables. And Lord, it's wrong, and I pray that you'd search our hearts, that you would know us, and that you would find any offensive way, any way in which we might be crooked with the gospel, 
that you'd reveal it to us, that we'd bring it to you and confess it as sin, and that you'd heal us of it. Oh God, do your work for the sake of your church, for the sake of your dear Son who gave his life for the church. Do your work so that you might be glorified here, we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Please stand. Let's sing in response.